Ladies and gentlemen, hello and thanks for joining us. My name is Aaron Cohen. I'm a neurosurgeon from Goodman Campbell Brain and Spine and Indiana University Department of Neurosurgery. I would like to invite you on the behalf of the WNS to join us for the first of an exciting new series of educational forums called WNS Operative Grand Rounds. The goal of the WNS Operative Grand Rounds is to provide and discuss nuances of technique in a case-based format to enhance the safety and efficiency of neurosurgical procedures and most importantly to minimize complications to improve the care of our dear patients. The WNS Operative Grand Rounds is in multimedia format and includes PowerPoint presentations, edited surgical videos and other tools that convey information not available elsewhere. With the participation of experts in the field, we will tackle difficult neurosurgical disorders that affect the cranium and spine. The unique aspect of the WNS Grand Rounds includes its ability to showcase surgical videos simultaneously with relevant expert discussions. My goal remains to present not only glorious and victorious surgical cases, but rather to include the interoperative misadventures that lead to difficult moments in surgery when they happen, because when we make the correct decision in difficult moments, we make the biggest difference in the outcome of our patients. Finally, I would sincerely appreciate your feedback on how we can improve the future sessions of the WNS Grand Rounds. This is a learning experience for all of us, and your feedback is the only way to satisfy your interest for worthwhile continuous surgical education. Here we start our journey with the first session of the WNS Operative Ground Rounds, a discussion regarding surgical management of anterior skull-based meningiomas. Okay, it's a pleasure for me to introduce uh, Dr. Bill Caldwell from uh, University of Utah and Dr. John Robertson from Sam's Murphy Neurologic and Spine Institute. Uh, gentlemen, thank you, uh, uh, thank you for joining us today. Today's presentation uh, will be a uh, uh, discussion regarding management of anteroscopic meningiomas. We're going to be discussing the pearls and pitfalls. This is going to be uh, the disclosure for the involved faculty. Anterior skull-based meningiomas uh, primarily consist of olfactory groove and tuberculum cell meningiomas. Although these tumors are relatively very adjacent to each other, they often have very different presentations. More rarely, we, uh, um, we have a tumor such as planum sphenodale and orbital meningioma in the same region. We're going to start with olfactory groove meningioma and technical considerations. As a basic knowledge, these obviously arise uh, uh, from the cribriform plate. They typically reach a giant size and offer present with very subtle findings, including personality change, or may present with a seizure. Imaging, including an MRI and MRA, will be useful in terms of defining the relationship of the optic nerve and vessels to the tumor, and if the vessels are engulfed in the superior posterior aspect of the tumor in a groove behind the tumor. CT will determine the amount of hyperostosis. Catherangiography is not usually necessary, as these tumors' vascularity often originates from the anterior ethmoidal artery, which in turn comes from ophthalmic artery. Embolization of the anterior ethmoidal artery will place the ophthalmic artery and therefore the vision at risk. I will ask Dr. John Robertson if he has any comments regarding um, um, embolization for these tumors. Uh, 
Uh, I would agree that embolization for these tumors is uh, not necessary uh, in the majority of cases. Occasionally you'll see a tumor such as a malignant meningioma with, with the vascularity that you might have to consider embolization, but in general it's not used. Bill, may I ask about your thoughts? Yes, I would agree with, uh, with John. Uh, you can actually access uh, the basal attachment of these tumors fairly quickly and early on in the operation, and so we've uh, uh, stopped uh, embolizing these tumors completely. Okay, and also, also I think these tumors are relatively easy to devascularize once you expose them from the base of the uh, anterior fossa uh, without having too much uh, important structures around them to avoid unless you go very posterior. Let's start with a case presentation of a 55-year-old man with a progressive history of personality change uh, who presented with a seizure and no visual change. This is the MRI, a different, uh, different um, views of a T1 with enhancement, revealing a relatively homogeneous tumor with modern amount of edema, causing significant amount of uh, uh, pressure on bilateral frontal lobes. This angiogram was performed in the outside institution before the patient was transferred, and as you can see, um, the draping of the frontopolar artery and some of the vascularity at the base of the tumor. Obviously, most of the important vessels, the anterior cerebral complex vessels, are pushed more superiorly and posteriorly and should be avoided during surgery. Preoperative considerations, seizure prophylaxis. Um, if the patient doesn't have a seizure before surgery, often we continue just seven days of prophylaxis based on the data from traumatic, uh, uh, post-traumatic seizure uh, information. Uh, however, if the patient does have seizure before surgery, we at least continue for seven, for si six to one year afterwards. Uh, may I ask for comments regarding you guys' preference in that regard? Uh, I would also, seizure prophylaxis, I think, is very important. And in this case, it does appear to be some edema associated with this tumor. And this is uh, steroids preoperatively, I think, is significant. More importantly, in the young individual as opposed to the older individual, I think steroid preparation preoperatively is very important. Okay. Bill, how, of, how much uh, time would you leave your patients on seizure prophylaxis postoperatively? Uh, we leave them on routinely for uh, about four weeks. If they haven't presented with a seizure, uh, we try to do a fairly rapid course and discontinue it after four weeks. If they present with seizure, I usually leave them six months to a year. Okay. Um, I have had a significant interest in using lumbar drain in these tumors for many reasons. We're going to go in detail uh, uh, about why that's important. I think for a large meningioma, having a uh, you know, a relaxed brain is so important to expose the tumor, identify the important cerebrovascular structures early on in surgery. Um, if the tumor is medium to small, we put a lumbar drain and we, ha we generously, op we obviously not very generously, but at least drain 20 cc or so at the time of the dural opening and whatever needs further to be drained to achieve the relaxation. If the tumor is very large, like the one you saw on, uh, just on the MRI a few slides ago, we still do use lumbar drain. However, we do not um, drain any CSF until the dura is being opened to uh, prevent any brain herniation. Uh, but we do routinely try to use lumbar drain. Uh, what are you guys' comments on that? 
Uh, I've used lumbar drains uh, fairly generously over the last 20 years. And uh, it's quite interesting. If you go back historically into the 1970s, uh, when in my training, we were trained not to use lumbar drains. That was just an absolute no-no. But uh, it, in my experience over the last 15 or 20 years, I've found lumbar drains very useful. And I would agree with your use of the lumbar drain. I basically do the same thing intraoperatively. Okay. Uh, Postoperatively, do not, do not maintain the lumbar drain, though. Okay, thank you. Do you fear with the very giant tumors that there is a risk uh, uh, before you open the dura that could be herniation? Uh, I, I typically do not open the lumbar drain before I open the dura. Okay. Uh, what I like to do is, particularly in a large tumor such as this, if you approach this through, a, through an anterior approach subbasally, you can actually get in the tumor and start decompressing the tumor. And if things are tight, you can open the lumbar drain for drainage. I, it's really a, a call that you make at the time of surgery, depending upon how, how everything looks, the brain itself in terms of the tightness, etc., vital signs, you know, and what have you. Thank you. Uh, Bill, may I ask for your comments? Yeah, we've uh, basically adopted the same approach as John described. Um, we're a little careful with using the lumbar drain in giant tumors like this. And if I am concerned about the risk of herniation, we'll put an external ventricular drain in instead. Um, we may leave the lumbar drain in postoperatively if we've reached the frontal fossa with removal of the tumor. And so we prepare the patient for that and tell them they may come out with a drain in their back if necessary. Okay. Uh, I see. Usually, you know, these tumors unfortunately distort the ventricles. It's hard sometimes to get a EVD into the frontal horn, but I, I see if, if it is possible, it would be very useful. Um, about the craniotomy approach, I would assume most people approach this bifrontally, and uh, this provides a panoramic view. Um, we have approached this terionally and have had a very good success, and we'll go through pros and cons of each. The terional approach is obviously very familiar to us. It uh, avoids the frontal sinus and postoperatively the potential risk for CSF fistula and leak. It is efficient. It uh, prevents the uh, retraction of both frontal lobes. You can importantly identify the optic nerve and carotid artery early in the dissection process and protect them. And it gives you maybe a little bit of leeway to be more aggressive. Uh, with the tumor since you know what the important stuff, where the important stuff are. It does provide a lateral corridor, which is usually a shortened distance to the important cerebrovascular structures in case a vascular injury occurs and uh, make us maybe more able to protect them. And the early proximal vascular control obviously um, would be nice to have. Uh, also preservation of the superior sinus may be important, although uh, people mention that the anterior third of the sagittal sinus may be sacrificed I still have, uh, have gained significant respect for the veins no matter where they are. Uh, this is an uh, illustration of a, a right uh, lateral frontotemporal craniotomy. This is the frontal lobe. This is the temporal lobe. The sylvan fissure has been opened. And the uh, tumor, as you can see, is located along the dura of the frontal fossa. And opening the uh, uh, cistern initially and the arachnoid membranes would allow identification of the optic nerve and carotid artery. This way we'll be able to move across, dissect these important structures early on from the tumor, isolate the tumor, and be able to be very aggressive devascularizing it without worrying about placing these important skull-based structures at risk. 
it is, as you can see, important to have a very relaxed brain to proceed with this kind of procedure since if there is a significant amount of edema and uh, increase in tenial tension, proceeding with this step can be difficult. Often the tumor may fill in the subarachnoid space around the optical carotid cisterns and release of CSF may not gain much space or give us much chance at decreasing intracranial tension. That's another reason for using lumbar drain. This is devascularizing the tumor along the frontal fossa. Uh, I do believe the better we can devascularize the tumor early on, and you can see in the inset, the better chance of managing the surgery efficiently because you will have less blood loss, you have a more clearable field to work through, and you can do a more aggressive debulking. And a more aggressive debulking would allow an easier rolling of the tumor from the cerebrovascular structures. And those are two critical factors in uh, making the surgery safe, efficient, and in my opinion, for a better outcome. This is debulking the tumor. We use micro scissors. We can use a CUSA or Sonopet or other um, ultrasonic uh, instruments. However, uh, using the uh, um, uh, CUSA or Sonopet close to the um, capsule of the tumor has to be cautioned uh, or cautiously used since um, uh, the um, uh, Sonopet or CUSA may injure the vessels and cause dissection of the anterior cerebral artery or the frontal polar artery. We then use a um, cotinoid to carefully dissect and wipe the brain away from the tumor as it's been devascularized. The frontal portal artery usually will be stretched at this stage has, and has to be sharply uh, dissected away. Um, the frontal temporal approach, as you can see, does offer you an early identification of the A1 and, as you can see, the uh, artery of Hubner. And you can use microsurgical techniques, obviously sharp techniques, in order to dissect the tumor away. It is important, as you can see in the inset, to carefully identify if a perforator is truly a perforator to the brain or to the tumor before it is sacrificed. And as you can see here, in the dissection through the micro scissors, it was clearly demonstrated to be a feeder to the tumor and could be safely sacrificed. The ones that are going posteriorly, especially like artery of Hubner, have to be carefully protected. Let's talk about the pifrontal approach. Um, it's a panoramic view of the tumor. It's more space to work through. It does provide a short working distance to the tumor. However, as we all know, a wider exposure is not necessarily a replacement for a good microsurgical technique. John, may I ask you how you approach this tumor? This, this is an example of a uh, quite a large tumor. And the real challenge in this particular case is to reduce the volume before you retract the brain, before you put any retractor on the brain at all. So what I like to do is to do a subfrontal approach the bifrontal craniotomy, as you see in these illustrations, I take this down as low as I can to where we're right on the floor anteriorly, and then stay extradural. Extradural, that's the key. Not opening the dura, as you see in this illustration. But to stay extradural and to go right along the, take the crystal galley down with a, with a drill, a high-speed drill, go right along the olfactory groove, and take your vessels along the uh, cribriform plate olfactory groove area, and very aggressively devascularize the tumor as you go posteriorly, identifying your anatomy specifically. Once you get to the plantum femoridale, you know exactly where you are in relationship to the uh, ethmoidal vessels, which should be just, just lateral to the plantum femoridale area. 
and take the take that mortal vessels. But the but the concept is to stay extradurally to devascularize, remove what bone you need to do this, then to open up the dura, get into the tumor itself, and to debulk the tumor. And again, not putting a retractor on the brain at all at this point. Open up the dura only to expose tumor so that you can get to it and reduce the volume. Once you've got significant reduction of volume, then you can open your dura. If you do it this way, you'll, you will really minimize any retraction on the brain. In regard to getting exposure posteriorly in, in relationship to the, to the vessels, the optic nerve, and what have you, once you've taken out 75% of this tumor from an anterior midline approach, you can very easily go posteriorly identifying your medial sphenoid wing, clinoid area, so that you don't go directly into the tumor and pull, a, pull the tumor that's, that's spilling over the tubercular cellar region. Uh, but then take a more lateral approach on either side, working in and identifying uh, the tumor as it's related to the carotid optic nerve, etc. Uh, but I think the key in this case is that minimal brain retraction. And as far as the, uh, as far as the sagittal sinus itself, it's really not an issue if you, if you really are so Subfrontal. If you stay extradural in your in your tumor removal initially, you know you do. It's very minimal disruption of that anterior spherocytal sinus, uh, and you because you're just not working in that area. What you see in this illustration is really uh, the standard: a large craniotomy bone flap with really your your retracting on both cerebral hemispheres. You get great exposure of the tumor, but it's the retraction injury, potential retraction injury to the frontal lobes. I think is a real issue in these cases, and so therefore you try to, in all cases, try to avoid putting a retractor on the front lobe. Okay, thank you very much. Bill, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I would mirror a lot of the, uh, the things that uh, John has mentioned. I think the advantage of a bifrontal approach with a big tumor like this is it gives you an opportunity to do a good devascularization of the whole base of the tumor, uh, you know, from both sides and coming down. The disadvantage, as you mentioned in your, in your PowerPoint, was that you don't have early access to the vessels. So you have to use uh, other clues to find those, and, and such as following along the, the sphenoid ridge medially to the region of the clinoid, so you know where the carotid and you know where the optic nerves are. Uh, smaller tumors I prefer to do uh, from a unilateral approach, sure. approach. Uh, but these big tumors, I think that there's a lot of advantages opening up wide and coming in bilaterally and devascularizing the tumor at the base. Sure. That's the key, the first early step. Okay. That's the rest of the resection much easier. Thank you. There's, there's, there's one other comment that I think should be made about these large tumors is always consider some of these tumors can extend through the cribriform plate into the sinonasal area. Yes. And that's another, that's something that you must consider and certainly a bifrontal approach where you can do an actual a midline removal of the cribriform sure. plate and go into the sinonasal cavity is something to be considered, but always keep that in mind, particularly when you're dealing with these very large tumors. Okay. Uh, that, that make, that's a great point. So if there is truly nasal involvement, which can be definitely the bifrontal approach, is the preferred approach and the toronto approach would be almost prohibitive. And again, this is just another view from Dr. John Two's Atlas regarding management of perforators as we discussed. Uh, there is uh, much respect should be paid to the perforators from the ACOM complex, and the patient should exercise, uh, exercise patience at this juncture. 
there are other approaches like a subfrontal approach for the medium with two small sized tumors that may spare the uh, olfactory nerve or avoid bifrontal retraction. Endoscopic transnasal approach is definitely a new one, recently has been advanced and it's minimally invasive, it doesn't require a craniotomy. However, it does limit the ability for microsurgery and microdissection and um, be able to microsurgically dissect the tumor from the vasculature, for, from um, arteries and optic nerve can be uh, very limiting and just pulling on the tumor can place perforators at risk and uh, there is a uh, also a chance for CSFLIC but definitely for smaller tumors can be a good consideration. Let's uh, talk about positioning and placement uh, for this surgery. We have this um, 3D model um, that uh, I'm going to show how um, the patient is positioned in this in this uh, position. This is usually the position we place the patient in with the uh, pinions placed, the malar eminence is in the, on the highest point and the pinions are placed behind the ear on the ipsilateral side and the superior temporal line on the contralateral side. I'm going to turn the model a little bit here. You can see that one of the pinions is behind the ear. This prevents from the arms and the bulky features of the pinion to be outside of the working zone of the surgeon or the operator as you can see here. The pin is totally behind the ear and um, it's uh, just above the mastoid groove and then the other uh, two uh, uh, pins are placed um, behind the hairline on the superior, mass, uh, superior temporal line and prevents placement of the pins into the muscle or the um, temporal bone which may be thin. And again this is the final position of the surgery with a, a working, uh, uh, working uh, corridor along this line. This is uh, typically uh, the position uh, we have used for frontal temporal. Uh, this may be um, one that can be used for a frontal temporal approach or a more extended temporal approach or, or an extended frontal temporal approach. I'm sorry, this can be used for a, a frontal temporal uh, approach that is extended or a bifrontal approach. That's how the pins are placed. Um, we, uh, for the MRI, we showed you because of the size of the tumor. We uh, did a more extended frontal temporal approach. As you can see, the bony removal is flat to the frontal fossa, as very well mentioned by uh, Dr. Robertson. And the bony removal is just lateral to the superior sagittal sinus. The terion has been drilled away. The 40s of meningioma surgery, often uh, discussed uh, by Almefti, is to de-dress the tumor, devascularize the tumor, debulk the tumor, and dissect the tumor microsurgically. Um, those are the steps that at least in my mind is reasonable to follow. However, staying extradurally and decompressing the tumor definitely can be of great help in terms of avoiding frontal lobe refraction early on. I think obtaining early brain relaxation to make these maneuvers more feasible is one of the most critical part of the meningioma surgery along the skull base. Adequate bone work, if it requires a skull base approach, head elevation, manitol Lasix, and lumbar drain most importantly. I don't think anything really helps more than CSF drainage and that should be kept in mind. Again, this is the tumor uh, we just uh, discussed and let's go ahead to the surgical video and discuss some of the aspects of intraoperative findings and how we can, we can uh, make the surgery safer. In order to uh, to uh, make you guys uh, very familiar, um, 
This is a um, left-sided frontotemporal craniotomy, the suction apparatus, the carotenoid. This is the um, uh, left frontal lobe, left temporal lobe, small um, uh, amount of fissure has been opened more medially and laterally, but just along the anterior limb of the fissure, and this is the sphenoid wing. You can see the optic nerve has been expo uh, exposed early on and identified. A piece of carotenoid may be placed for the surgeon to be oriented as we zoom out in a second to see the tumor. Again, the left frontal lobe. This tumor was approached from the left side since we felt the tumor was more leaning toward the left side, uh, also due to the fact that I'm, I am personally a left-handed surgeon. We do try to approach tumors from the right side to prevent uh, injury to the uh, dominant hemisphere. As you can see, adequate burn relaxation has really allowed early retraction without significant retraction clear exposure of the tumor, and it would allow very aggressive devascularization. This, stage, this uh, step was performed initially as we approached since when we lifted up the frontal lobe, we did have some bleeding along the base of the tumor. Tumor is then highly debulked. John, may I ask for any comments? I think it's, uh, it's going well. I think what you're doing is Basically, the critical thing is just to debulk the tumor once you devascularize it. That's going to give you the adequate space to then to continue the dissection. But uh, this looks like a very manageable tumor. Bill, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I uh, agree. Uh, this looks like a very favorable one. Fairly uh, uh, not very vascular, and it's got a good capsule, and, uh, and you're able to devascularize it early like this. Um, I make a point to, when I treat the residents and fellows to try and make sure you leave the capsule interface uh, a, and, and not remove too much of the capsule early on so that you can actually bring the capsule in and dissect it off the brain. And uh, so I'm a big advocate of not too much uh, cautery around the outside of the capsule so that you can use microsurgical technique and fine arachnoid dissection of the capsule off the brain. Correct. And as you can see, this is the stage where the debulking has been performed. The cotinoid has been used to wipe the brain gently away from the tumor. I think that's a great point, uh, what you mentioned, that keeping the capsule intact, using it as a handle, as you can see here. Usually there is so much space created by this tumor that the fellow or the resident can help you as a third hand with uh, bipolaring or... Um, um, uh, hemostasis during the surgery. Further debulking has been completed. At this juncture, some of the vessels have come into view. Um, obviously, any coagulation has to be carefully uh, done, and first the field should be cleared 
to make sure no important vessel has been sacrificed. Any thoughts how to avoid and protect these vessels? Just have to be extremely careful. And I, you know, one of the one of the things you've got to be particularly as you get this tumor tumor debulk is not to uh, aggressively pull on the tumor. Right. And I think right now maybe. So many, yeah. So many times, what happens with a big tumor like this? Uh, you know, things get going, and you've been working for a while, and and towards the end of the dissection, which is the most critical. You know, you've been in there for several hours, and you, you may be a little bit fatigued, and you'll tend to get in a hurry. So you you almost have to stop and remind yourself that this is this is the real critical part. Trying to this last portion where you're trying to dissect any vessels off of the tumor capsule is you just have to go very very slow and tend to always bipolar on the capsule, pulling the pulling the capsule towards you. Sure. I tend to try to minimize the amount of cotinoids that I put on the brain. You can sometimes just pack one cotinoid after another and uh, before you know it you've got a lot of cotinoids stuck in that defect. I agree. And sometimes that can traumatize that frontal lobe. So again, let the tumor come to you. If it will come to you with general traction and by pulling the capsule as, it, as you deliver it like you're doing there, watching for those vessels, but try to avoid uh, as much as you can, any any trauma to the adjacent frontal lobe, because in a tumor like this, the displaced frontal lobe is, is basically a very sick brain. There's a right. there. And you can see the optic nerve here, there. I'm sorry, John. The optic nerve is right under yeah. the suction, just to orient. And I'm going to just make one comment, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, John. You can see we tried, this is the most posterior part of the tumor, John, and uh, we do use microforceps to grab the arachnoids and take it away from the tumor, especially when we get to an important parts where there are important cerebrovascular structures. This tumor is rolling nicely, as you can see. You should be careful with rolling, rolling too aggressively and pulling the tumor, as very well mentioned by Dr. Robertson. But this is, again, the area of the hypothalamus A1. I think you see one of the um, A1s coming into view more posteriorly. We very much avoid aggressive um, bipolaring in this region and use only gentle irrigation with suction at a distance from the areas where the perforators are connected since um, since even um, bipolaring um, you know uh, rather um, haphazardly in this area can dissect and injure vessels. I'm sorry John, another go ahead. Caution about, another caution about placing cottonoids when you're working around it's a real tight area that you're working in. Sometimes if you're not paying attention, you'll push a cottonoid in and you'll push it against the optic nerve and you've got a cottonoid that's that really is, you really shouldn't manipulate or put any anything at all on the optic nerve if you can avoid it. So you want to see the optic nerve, but you, if you're going to put something on it, put a piece of gel foam or surgicil. Correct. And not cottonoid against it. Yes. And as you can see, trying to maybe use the arachnoid membranes um, and take advantage of them, or what they call exploit them by grabbing it with the microforceps and letting the tumor roll away and grab the arachnoid and um, sort of dissect away the important optic nerve and um, some of the other structures rather than cutting with micro scissors where it would be difficult to see the tip of the scissors in very tight areas.
So, so you Aaron, can you comment on the uh, when you have the situation where, for instance, the frontal pole of branch, major branch, is actually encased by the tumor, right? It's within the tumor. How do you manage that? We're going to go over that with our last case, where something will happen in the OR, and I would appreciate okay. your comments there. This is dissecting the tumor, as you can see from the optic nerve. Carefully, the arachnoid membranes have been um, um, uh, grabbed with a very fine forceps and uh, uh, they are carefully preserved. This is another case uh, just showing how this is a right frontotemporal craniotomy for a same size tumor and you can see how early devascularization was possible and you will, you will see the uh, high vascularity of anterior ethmoidal arteries coming off the, just the back side of the crystal galley. And I think after a second or so, after a few seconds, you will see um, the crystal galley is going to come to view and it will orient yourself, as you can see, right there. So this is a good way to know how far you're devascularizing because how far am I? Am I, am I all the way out to the other side to devascularize if I'm coming from a lateral approach? And that may be helpful in terms of uh, orienting the surgeon along the base of the frontal lobe. I'm sorry, Bill. Go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to follow up uh, on your microsurgical technique. So we like to use high magnification and dissect the tumor away from the brain, not the brain away from the tumor. And uh, use the debulking of the tumor to develop your arachnoid planes and then exploit those arachnoid planes and only divide what you can see. And uh, so we don't like to do blunt dissection, especially around the posterior part of the tumor. So uh, I would agree with the way that you were doing the, the last case. Right. And you it's can nicely see... nicely demonstrated where you devascularize the tumor early on. That's the key initial step. Thank you. This is um, a post-op MRI reveal adequate resection of the tumor with no significant complicating features. So we'll proceed uh, with discussion regarding management of uh, tuberculosis meningioma. They are also in a similar category as olfactor goof, although they have very different uh, presentations. Um, there are about 5 to 10 percent of the intracranial meningiomas. They typically present with chiasmal syndrome, unilateral optic atrophy, and normal cella. The key about normal cella is important as this is a key differentiating factor uh, of a tuberculosis meningioma for somewhat unusual looking prolactinoma or intracellular tumor, which will cause expansion of the cella. Again, normal cella and a dural tail is key to differentiate a prolactinoma or a um, um, uh, intracellular tumor such as a pituitary tumor. Obviously, we do not like to offer surgery for a prolactinoma if it can be treated medically. Endocrine and ophthalmological workup is very important as CT scan will assess hyperostosis and MRA will assess any chance of aneurysm or arterial uh, aneurysm formation or arterial narrowing. Uh, the approach is usually from the side of the worst vision, as some manipulation of the ipsilateral optic nerve is necessary for gross total resection of the tumor. It invades both optic canals, and therefore both canals should be decompressed adequately, and that's mandatory to achieve decompression of the nerves thoroughly. This places the optic nerves laterally, pituitary start posteriorly, respects the reliquous membrane, and it's been at least some people's experience that no matter how wide of exposure you do on the ipsilateral opt optic nerve, 
there is potentially some post-operative deterioration of the vision, especially if the vision is extremely poor on the ipsilateral side and the nerve is already very badly danger. We do not recommend sacrificing any non-functional optic nerve since rare reports of non-functional optic nerves recovering has been documented. Let's go ahead and start with our case, a 57-year-old female with a two-year history of progressive visual loss. Unfortunately, most of these patients, at least by the time they present, they have severe visual loss, at least in one eye. And this was her MRI, again showing a re relatively homogeneously enhancing lesion in the, um, in the uh, paracellar or anterocellular region. Um, as you can see, one of the key factors is a dural tail in this tumor that's centered over the tuberculum cella, uh, fostering the diagnosis of tuberculum cella meningioma. These tumors, as you can see, don't often reach as giant of a size as olfactory group meningiomas since they cause uh, displacement and compression of the optic nerves early due to their location, and therefore the decrease in vision is an alarming sign for the patient to see a doctor. Steroids and anticonvulsants, as discussed previously, for the case of olfactory group meningiomas. Lombardurin is critical to uh, be able to achieve brain uh, decompression. The tumor often fills the optics, uh, cry optical carotid cisterns and prevents adequate egress of CSF early on during the operation. Therefore, the surgeon should always have a backup plan regarding obtaining uh, CSF. For large tumors, we do open this um, lumbar drain um, after the dura has been opened to prevent barren herniation. We'll proceed with our video of uh, the MRI we just reviewed. This is a right frontotemporal craniotomy. Temporalis muscle, a right frontal lobe, sylvian fissure, temporal lobe, a gentle amount of this retraction has been placed on the basal posterior frontal lobe just along the sphenoid wing and along the anterior limb of the sylvian fissure. Using microsurgical techniques, the fissure is opened and the important M1 and M2 vessels are protected. As you can see, the craniotomy is very flat to the roof of the frontal lobe. John, may I ask for your comments at this point? Uh, the approach of this tumor to a terrional approach, uh, which is not my preferred approach, but uh, I think it's key. Do you, in watching this now, have you taken down the sphenoid wing? Did you drill this down extra durally? Uh, I, I, uh, think, I, I think that's a great point. As you can see, the sphenoid wig is somewhat hampering our view. So I agree with you. In that case, I should have drilled down the sphenoid wing more aggressively. That would have given well, us... Like if you're approaching this material approach, I think taking the sphenoid wing down, opening up the spiroorbital fissure, and possibly taking down the clinoid, all of those things are very important uh, in approaching a tumor. Right, and I have included some illustrations in that regard uh, because I think that's, that's a very good way to do it as well. And the viewers should definitely understand the nuances of such technique. As you can see, the sylvan fissure has been opened and the uh, bridging vein will be coagulated to uh, um, provide a more uh, easy elevation of the frontal lobe without significant retraction. Bill, may I, may I ask for your comments? Yeah, I, I think that uh, uh, 
I actually would have done this uh, the same way you did. And uh, you need to open up the fissure widely here, get the sphenoid ridge down, as John mentioned, and really get that frontal lobe and temporal lobe separated so you can elevate the frontal lobe and uh, quickly identify where the optic nerve is in relationship to the tumor. Okay. Because it can be displaced, you know, as you know, laterally and posteriorly with this, and you want to make sure exactly where you know where the uh, nerve is early in the dissection. Correct. And you can see the M1 branch right there. I think the M2 branches are sort of draped over it. Go ahead, Bill. No, oh, I think you're you're doing a, a great job here, and uh, now you look like you're trying to identify where the tumor is attached, uh, just uh, medial to the clinoid there. Correct. That's uh, the optic nerve coming into view. That's the carotid artery exactly. right there, and that's the tumor, and it allows early identification of the two structures. As you can see, again, this is a little bit more frontal lateral view. This is the optic nerve, carotid artery. We stay in the midline. That's key. And the tumor is devascularized and debulked from the tuberculum cella. Again, uh, aggressive debulking and early devascularization is key while the optic nerve is carefully protected laterally with a ridge of the tumor over it. One comment is that you've got to be very careful where you put your frontal lobe retractor. Correct. Because, um, the nerve can be splayed laterally, and the tip of the retractor uh, can be very close proximity uh, to the nerve there. So you've got to really be cognizant of where the nerve is and when you're retracting the frontal lobe. Thank you. And this is the optic nerve. A decompression was performed with pituitary rongeurs to grab some of the heart of the tumor. At this juncture, we start microsurgically to identify the uh, ridge uh, or the edges of the nerve against the tumor. As you can see, the right optic nerve is very much thinned out and splayed open by the tumor that is located right there. Um, and we try to do the best we can to dissect it away from the tumor without injuring it. First creating a plane and then using micro scissors to dissect the nerve away. Aaron, one thing that I like to do at this juncture is uh, try to get some early decompression of the ipsilateral optic nerve and try to get some of the tumor out. Um, it, not maybe directly underneath the nerve, but make sure it's decompressed early so that any shift of the brain does not act exacerbate the, uh, uh, the tension on the nerve. I think that's a great point. And you will see in a second we'll do that. Um, I should probably open the foramen uh, before dissecting. But at this juncture, we're just dissecting. And in a second, we'll uh, cut the falciform ligament to untether the nerve, which is critical. Uh, in terms of manipulating. Here is using a curved Carlin knife, opening the falciform ligament. The nerve is there. I think Dr. Robertson does that earlier in the operation, which has some advantages in terms of protecting the nerve potentially further. The carotid artery, the optic nerve, opening the falciform ligament again. And um, Sometimes a drill may be necessary or a sonopet. Sometimes an angle curette may be useful. I do try the angle curette first, as you will see in a second, because the heat of the drill may be problematic. Here is a curette removing additional portion of the bone over the optic nerve. We try to avoid bipolars and use irrigation. 
you can see the edge of the nerve into the foramen and a portion of the tumor going into the foramen. After the nerve has been further untethered, we'll be more aggressive with handling the nerve away from the tumor, which unfortunately at this juncture looks very much adherent to the ipsilateral optic nerve. After the nerve has been decompressed ipsilaterally, this is the contralateral optic nerve, we uh, remove more of the tumor and use the optic chiasm to find the contralateral optic nerve and using microsurgical techniques under high magnification, although there seems to be no plane between the contralateral optic nerve and the tumor, we have been able to use the microsurgical techniques to create that, that plane. Again, this is a contralateral optic nerve, ipsilateral optic nerve from a right-sided view, dissecting the tumor carefully from the contralateral optic nerve. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I, I would agree with this dissection. And uh, the key here is to identify the contralateral optic nerve, which is a little more difficult coming in from the opposite side. Um, and so there's a couple of tricks that I use. I come around front and I come around back, but if you can follow the tumor around around the back of the chiasm and then keep dissecting it towards the other uh, optic nerve, that can help you. And as you can see in a second, we'll be removing the tumor from the contralateral optic nerve through the foramen using a pituitary joint. Removal of the tumor inside is very important as the risk of postoperative delayed deterioration of vision could be attributed due to uh, um, um, expansion of the tumor and necrosis of the tumor inside the foramen that was left. This is at the end of the operation, as you can see, a wider fissure exposure as commented by Dr. Caldwell. The ipsilateral optic nerve, contralateral optic nerve, the cavity left by the tumor, um, and the dural opening and the flat trajectory. I do believe, as Dr. R. Robertson very appropriately mentioned, that we should have uh, removed this um, the sphenoid wing more aggressively. The dura then is uh, further uh, coagulated or the bone is drilled away to prevent the risk of recurrence. There's just one or two technical comments. As you notice throughout this procedure, if you're coming along the terial approach, you're constantly working over the optic nerve on that side, and whether you like it or not, your your suction is laying on top of that optic nerve. Each time you're working across the midline, you're touching the optic nerve. Any manipulation of an optic nerve that's already been stretched and it's already you know, pathologic in terms of, obviously from a clinical standpoint, visual impairment, uh, it, you're just having a higher risk of potentially damaging the optic nerve. So whether you're working above the optic nerve or working between the optic nerve and the carotid artery in some circumstances to mobilize that tumor from that uh, from the ipsilateral side as you're working initially, this is a major issue in, in regard to how to approach this. That that begs for you to consider removing the anterior clinoid, opening up the optic canal, opening up the periorbital to try to mobilize the optic nerve or give it some at least additional uh, room uh, to uh, move as you manipulate that tumor away. The other comment about this is that none of these cases can you tell from the scans on the front end whether or not this tumor is involving uh, the optic canal, the proximal portion of the optic canal. Tumor can extend into the optic canal 
of most concern is that when it encases the ophthalmic artery, and when you're trying to mobilize that, that tumor that's hidden beneath that optic nerve on the ipsilateral side, it's not as bad on the contralateral side, but on the ipsilateral side, it can become a real problem, and particularly if you, by chance, uh, get into the ophthalmic artery, which may be encased in tumor. So there's a, there's a number of pitfalls here that, that uh, really concern, at least concern me, uh, in regard to approaching these specifically from one angle, if you will, from a purely lateral approach. Okay. And this is Can a... I uh, make uh, that I've gone to uh, exclusively, like Dr. Robertson has said, to taking the clinoid off on the ipsilateral side, opening the canal widely, right up to the, uh, uh, to the orbit, and then also uh, reaching cross-court and drilling the top of the canal on the other side just because um, it gives the room more, uh, the nerve more room down the line. Okay. And if there's any recurrence there, then you're okay. not going to have visual loss early. Okay. And this is an um, illustration depicting the fact that the tumor was devascularized, debulked, and then usually the opticize them carefully to find the contralateral optic nerve, as it may be difficult to do that anteriorly at times. This is, I think, the approach Dr. Robertson is mentioning, if I'm correct, John. Um, a more uh, extensive osteotomy along the roof of the orbit, removal of the clinoid, generous decompression of the optic nerve and carotid artery, generous opening of the falciform ligament. Um, may, may I ask you for some comments, John? Yes, this is, uh, the approach is actually not an extensive approach. I mean, you, typically this is a an orbital craniotomy, you can call it an orbital frontal, an orbital frontal temporal, it depends on how large you want to make it, but mine is typically taking the, the lateral orbital rim, it's lateral to the uh, superorbital nerve, taking the lateral rim and the anterior third of the, opt of the orbital roof along with a small portion of the frontal bone that, that extends imme just immediately posterior to the, uh, to the uh, sphenoid wing laterally. So, it's a small orbital frontal craniotomy to work along the orbital roof, but you're not only working along the orbital roof, but you can swing a bit laterally and come along the sphenoid wing. Most people are unfamiliar with taking the sphenoid wing down from, from a view through the, along the frontal fossa floor as opposed to starting out laterally on the sphenoid wing, but through that same approach, you can take down the sphenoid wing, you can open up the spherical fissure, you can clearly identify the interface between the anterior aspect of the cavernous sinus and the spherical fissure, take down your anterior clinoid, open up the optic canal, both the roof and the lateral wall of the optic canal. All of this can be done extradurally before you actually approach the tumor. It's key that if you do this approach, and I found it extremely valuable, it's an extradural approach. The dura is only opened immediately over the tuberculum sulla. And I usually open up the, the, the dura from a transverse fashion from one medial sphenoid wing to the opposite, extend it as needed to expose, but your retractor is placed along the extradural space, if you will, of the frontal lobe that you're retracting on. Minimal retraction, small exposure, and you're able to approach the pathology both from an anterior approach to debulk it, which allows you to mobilize it before you look at it from a lateral approach if you're having difficulty mobilizing it from the, the optic nerve or the carotid artery. But allowing two different views will 
will prevent you in situations where a tumor is not just a straightforward tumor. That is, tumor involving the optic canal, encased in the ophthalmic artery. The tumor is adherent to either the chiasm or to either optic nerve. Having that additional exposure is extremely valuable uh, in dealing with these tumors because not all of these tumors are nice, soft, suckable tumors. You'll get into some tumors that are fibroblastic meningiomas, and they can be very difficult uh, to deal with if you're not if you don't have the right exposure because you just can't mobilize the tumor and it, it becomes very difficult. Thank, thank you. And again, this is maybe uh, extra space would let you work on more avenues underneath the optic nerve as well as over it. Maybe this way you would decrease the amount of manipulation placed over the um, uh, optic nerve. This is a postoperative MRI of this patient revealing adequate decompression and removal of the tumor. This is a pre-op MRI showing the tumor going into the cella and this is postoperative MRI review goes total removal. And this is a flare image to show that careful dissection of the fissure will prevent any injury to the optic, uh, to the uh, frontal or temporal lobe um, and in this case uh, none was visualized. So what are the technical nuances? Uh, I think What's most important that we all agree is preserving function is most important than approach craniotomy or the post-op MRI. If the tumor is too adherent to the optic nerve, just leave some of it there as long as the optic nerve is well decompressed. Decrease blood loss early with devascularization, devascularization and generous debulking for efficiency of dissection and rolling the tumor cannot be adequately emphasized. If you do not debulk the tumor adequately, it's going to be difficult to roll it. You're going to start pulling, and uh, before you know it, you may have um, something in your sucker that you did not want to see. Meticulous handling of adjacent structures, obviously critical microforceps to dissect the arachnoid membranes, and sharp dissection to handle the vessels. Use the arachnoid membranes. They are your friend. Irrigation rather than aggressive suction around the periphery is the key. Veins, I don't think, get enough credit. First time is the best time for a gross resection and studying preoperative images to localize the cerebrovascular structures before and is critical. And always look for displaced structures for meningioma surgery. It is just fine thousand times to say there it was and be wrong, but it's definitely not acceptable even once to say there it was and be right. Terrenal approach may offer you all you need, however, better skull-based approaches may offer advantages based on individual case. Decrease intracranial tension is key. Devascularize early. Identify critical structures. Use the pedicle. It's a pedicle. These tumors are a mushroom. Focus on the pedicle to devascularize. Keep the field dry to protect the important structures. Generous debulking. Midline position should be maintained to prevent injury to optic nerve and other cerebrovascular structures. Despite adherence of the nerve, the plane can be found under high magnification if patience is exercised. Protect the blood supply from the chiasm, which comes from inferior and superior aspect of it from the anterosteroidal complex. Dissection should commence at the chiasm to identify the hidden contralateral optic nerve. Obviously, that has to be protected. Leave the tumor on the perforators if necessary. Anterior choroidal artery, artery of Huebner, those are not forgiving. And if the tumor has to be left, leave it there. Run, I, I do believe life runs through those arteries. On turning the optic nerve for its mobilization is key. Move, use bipolar and scissors on the tumor capsule. Do not be aggressive. 
with using ultrasonic aspirators, which will cut through the vessels. ACOM and anterior artery complex may be stretched and displaced. Be very watchful for them along the posterior superior aspect of the tumor. No vessel along the posterior superior aspect of the tumor should be taken unless carefully um, inspected to make sure it's not going to the brain. Tumor feeders from the ACA complex may be very easily mistaken for perforators when there is bleeding and there is tumor adherent. I would like to ask both of you guys for any closing remarks. Uh, John and Bill, please. I think, I think all of the cases that have been uh, presented are very good cases. Uh, all the technical points that were mentioned are, are very appropriate. Thank you, Bill. So I think that you've really outlined uh, some of the highlights of, of meningioma surgery. I mean, um, I think exposure is critical. Uh, the approaches, and we've talked about the different approaches. The dissection techniques, uh, emphasizing the arachnoid dissection, fine uh, microsurgical technique, sharp dissection. Uh, I want to congratulate you, Aaron. I thought this was a great session. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, I want to thank both Dr. Roberts and Colwell, both experts and really people who have done a lot of these more than most people and their expert opinion has been crucial in making this session successful. Uh, thank you so much.